Super Wild Card Weekend is upon us. The Seahawks looking for the upset against the 49ers who beat them twice in the regular season. What do the Seahawks need to do to get the job done at Levi's Stadium and advance to the divisional round? Nick Lee, Dallas Cooper, and I are going to be breaking it all down in a special edition Playoff Blue Friday episode of Locked on Seahawks. You are Locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12. This is Corbin Smith, your lead host for the Locked On Seahawks podcast. Glad to be joined for an early special edition playoff Blue Friday episode by my co-hosts Nick Lee and Dallas Cooper. We're going to have a fun roundtable discussion today as we take a look at what the Seahawks need to accomplish to advance in the playoffs. They're 10-point underdogs against the San Francisco 49ers getting ready to head down to Levi Stadium. What do they need to do to get the job done? And of course, we're going to play our weekly Blue Friday game as well. Some what's the odds action looking at some wild card round related topics. A special thanks to all the 12s out there as always for making Locked on Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And this Blue Friday episode is brought your way by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at LinkedIn.com slash Locked on NFL. Now for your lead story here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked on Seahawks. The Seahawks will be heading into this wild card rematch with the 49ers looking pretty healthy, sending out a small injury report on Thursday. Just four players listed as questionable Phil Haynes being one of them. Shelby Harris also on the list, along with DJ Dallas and Xavier Crawford. But there's one notable name there. I know Nick is just giddy about this after the conversation we had in the show last week, but there's a certain defensive player that has been really valuable against the 49ers the last couple of years that is going to be back in action after missing the last three games. Man, Ryan Neal, it, it is about to, to quote LeBron, it's about damn time. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> it's it's really, I mean, he, he's been missed. I mean, Jonathan Abram at some points has filled in admirably, T's Tabor too, um, but clearly they're they're missing him. He's pro, fo- pro football focus has him as their best run defender, number one. He's the and, number one safety, Nick. Right. He's the number one yeah. safety. Yeah, I think that's so I'm sure all pro by some by some standards. I mean, just having a fantastic season that was uh, the regular season, unfortunately, cut short. But getting him back for this game, holy cow. When you're talking the best run defender, you're talking against George Kittle. I mean, talk about a, a shot in the arm. I know that's kind of been the, 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 the theme here. Um, but it's it, it, talk about a late season acquisition after a few weeks being off. Ryan Neal is going to be a huge, huge swing for the Seahawks on defense. I know they haven't Seahawks haven't necessarily been, you know, Swiss cheese on defense in the last few weeks. Um, his replacements have really uh, stepped up. But this is a whole different animal. I think someone today said this is the, the 49ers right now are playing like the 2019 Chiefs and the 85 Bears. I mean, the combined, I mean, it's just like that's what they're playing like. So you're going to need a guy like Ryan Neal to kind of slow it down. Yeah, Neal's been remarkable this year. He had the pass breakup in that game in week 15 against George Kittle. He's the only one that can cover him. And no offense to Jonathan Abram because I think he has done some nice things, but he doesn't have the height and the length, and he's not the same coverage athlete than what what Ryan Neal is for the Seahawks defense. So getting him back for this matchup is certainly a big deal. And I think the other thing that's notable here, 
switching it over to Dallas. You know, DJ Dallas is on the injury report, but it sounds like he's going to play. And Shelby Harris, Pete Carroll today, confirming that he is absolutely going to play. And as you and I were talking before the show, there was no way that Shelby Harris was going to miss this game. Being the veteran that he is, he's never even come close to sniffing the playoffs. This is his first chance to play in the postseason. Uh, you better believe that Shelby Harris is going to be out there. Absolutely. They're going to need Shelby Harris out there. He's been playing great these past few weeks, and he's been a significant player for them. Shelby Harris has been elite versus the run. He's been a, a shot in the arm, as we've said, in the passing game, especially from the interior. They're going to need all the help they can get, especially with a dominant offensive line like the 49ers. They need every single piece, and he's a key cog in that machine. Yeah, he's been really good all season long. And just another feather to the cap with that Russell Wilson trade. We can keep bringing it up, and I know that that we can't truly evaluate that trade yet at this point. We'll see what the Seahawks do with the other two draft picks. They're getting through that. But certainly in the short term, Shelby Harris has been one of their most consistent defenders. And they didn't have him for most of the week two loss to the 49ers. He did play loss by eight made things interesting in the fourth quarter, but getting him back it certainly helped their run defense, and he's been a really valuable pass rusher in the interior as well. I guess the other thing that I think is notable looking at these injury reports, the Seahawks are in really good shape at the running back spot. I know DJ Dallas was listed on there as being questionable, but Pete Carroll said today that he was full go in Thursday's practice. There's no way that he's not going to be playing this game, and you're going to be thinking in the back of DJ Dallas's mind. I don't think he's going to be asking Shane Waldron to throw the football this week, but you know there's got to be some redemption in the back of his mind, especially with the way that he's played lately. He has been one of their best players the last two weeks, winning those games against the Jets and the Rams. He's been getting big runs between the tackles. He's been making plays on special teams, returning punts, making tackles on special teams. He's been catching passes. He's been blowing up blitzers and pass protection. So, Having those two guys, Ken Walker the third and DJ Dallas healthy, that's a big deal because Ken Walker was just coming back from an injury in week 15. I don't think he was quite himself in that game. He's looked really darn good the last three weeks, and DJ Dallas has now been back for a few weeks, and getting those guys back on the field certainly going to help the Seahawks as well. The 49 with two Jimmy being one of them, but their injury report is pretty short as well. So Seahawks and 49ers should both be close to full strength, and that should make for some really must-see TV to open Saturday's wildcard round in Santa Clara. What do the Seahawks need to do to win this football game? They lost both their games to the 49ers in the regular season. What do they have to accomplish? Nick Dallas and I are going to be getting to our keys to victory here, postseason edition coming up next on our Blue Friday episode of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. As you get rolling into the new year, you need the right people on your team to help your small business click on all cylinders. LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to free. As a former site manager and current podcast host, I've made plenty of hires over the years, and LinkedIn has always been a go-to for me to find top candidates in sports media. Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. They've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with the right skills and experience so you can quietly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to 
faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on NFL. That's linkedin.com slash locked on NFL to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. If you're looking for a delicious treat, but you don't want all the fat and calories, then you got to try a Built Bar. We just got through the holidays. I know my goal is to eat a little healthier this year. I'm starting to turn the corner there. Didn't start the year very well here. But if you don't want to compromise taste, then man, Built Bar is the thing for you. With Built, it's healthy and it actually tastes good. They're so delicious, you won't think they're good for you. It's perfect for your New Year's resolution. And what makes them so good? For starters, almost all their bars are covered in 100% real chocolate, whether it's their churro flavor, peanut butter brownie, my personal favorite, and coconut almond. I'm not sure how Built does it, but these bars taste like candy bars while maintaining amazing macros. Only 130 calories and 4 grams of sugar with a whopping 17 grams of protein. And now you don't have to wait around to get a box through the mail. You can go to Walmart or Sam's Club and get Built Bar. That's right. Head to your nearest Walmart today. Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars. You can get a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, or coconut puffs. And if you're close to Sam's Club, run in and grab a 13-bar box with their hit flavors, brownie batter and churro. You can thank me later. All right, it's Blue Friday here on the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined today by two co-hosts, Nick Lee, as well as Dallas Cooper. A special thanks to all the 12s out there, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We greatly appreciate it. All right, we've got this big playoff game coming up on Saturday. Seahawks heading down to Santa Clara to face the 49ers, who handled them pretty easily the two times they played in the regular season, a 27-7 win in Week 2 at home, and then a 21-13 game that probably wasn't quite as close as that score indicated at Lumen Field on Thursday night football. So the Seahawks, they're going to this game 10-point underdogs, according to our friends at Bet Online. Very few people giving them a chance to win this game with the 49ers riding a 10-game winning streak. So I'm going to flip it over to Nick here. It's time to game plan. We're taking Pete Carroll, Shane Waldron, and Clint Hurts' job right now. We're trying to figure out how we can turn the corner and actually beat this 49ers squad that might be the most talented roster in the NFL right now. On offense, Nick, what is your number one goal going into this football game? What are you looking to accomplish with the goal of beating the 49ers in a game that nobody's really giving the Seahawks a chance? Well, I know we can go through all the cliches of, you know, establish the run. You know, you got you to keep stay on schedule. I'll insert cliche here. But I'm going to go a bit farther than that, and I'm going to say something kind of weird. You need to win the carry battle. I know that's a little weird to say. Um, but the Seahawks need to have more rushing attempts than the San Francisco 49ers because the last two games, Corbin, against the 49ers, that the, the Seahawks have, or the 49ers have averaged 40, 40 carries and the Seahawks have averaged 14, 14 carries over a whole game twice against the Niners. That is a recipe not only to lose, that's a recipe to get blown out of the water. So the Seahawks need to win the carry battle. They're actually 6-1 and one this season when they win the carry battle, when they have more carries than the other team, the Seahawks are six and one. And also just throw out the number, another number they're seven and one when they reach the 25 carry mark. So there's something to be said. And you, know, you it, there's, it, there's a lot of symptoms that there are a lot of things kind of fall into place. When you establish the run, you, you, you have more carries than the other team. You're staying on schedule. You're staying ahead of the change. You're keeping an offensive rhythm. You're mitigating that mighty pass rush that the 49ers have. Um, it, you know, Geno Smith, one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league. You're keeping the opposing offense on the sidelines. You're resting your defense. 
you're shortening the game. You're avoid you're avoiding putting the ball in harm's way through the air, especially in some maybe some uh, <laughs> bad weather there, inclement weather there in in Santa Clara. So all these things kind of fall into place. And and another thing is you're keeping the game close. You're either leading the game or you're keeping the game close when you run that much. Because when you fall behind, that's what's happened to the Seahawks. They've had to abandon the run, and that's why they've only gotten 14 carries in those both games. So you need to establish that and maintain it and keep those carries coming and, and eventually, hopefully, having more carries in the San Francisco 49ers because that is a symptom for or a, a recipe for success. And I'm glad that you pointed out that there's factors that go into it because everybody that listens to this show knows me being a former running back. Of course, I'm always going to be like, run the football, establish your running game. But I know that you have a lot of other factors that go into that. Just having 25-plus carries, there's way more to it than just that. But typically, when you end up in that position, good things have happened on offense. And so you make a very good point there. And you know, Pete Carroll, I, I believe that the reason he is now wearing a hat is not just the weather. I think he's probably tired of grabbing his hair and trying to pull it out because his team hasn't been able to run the football until the last couple of weeks. So I'm convinced that the new Mad Hatter has come out because of that symptom more than anything else. But I digress. Dallas was making some interesting points off of this before we started the show with the run game. And the reason it's going to be such an emphasis, there's two reasons and I'll leave you to the other one, but the weather, it sounds like it is going to be nasty in Santa Clara on Saturday. They're dealing with cyclone type conditions there. We're talking 10 to 20 mile an hour winds, heavy rain. They're saying there could be half an inch of rain at Levi stadium on Saturday. So you know that throwing the football is going to be difficult. But I know that you have a different reason for it, and it has to do with number nine in the backfield. The Seahawks have a running back that's been absolutely special this entire year. Kenneth Walker has shown elite straight line speed, elite change of direction, heck, even elite power running through tackles. Ken Walker has been an elite player, and the Seahawks need to feature him. As Nick said, you need to get the 25 carries. And I think, how do you do that? You have to get Kenneth Walker going, especially early in the game. Stay on schedule, as Nick said, and as both of you guys said. They need to stay on schedule, which allows you to run the football, keep the game close. That's all that's needed. You can't let the Nick Boses of the world, Eric Armsteads, be able to pass rush and key in on that. You can't let Fred Warner, Dre Greenlaw, especially in their quarters coverage, drop back onto intermediate passing windows. You need to force them to respect the run game. I think that's how the Seahawks will get their keys to victory, and that's their chance. Yeah, and I think the other thing to note off of that is that the 49ers, they've been good against running backs in the passing game, but that has been a weakness for them at times this year. So maybe getting K-9 the football in the passing game a little bit. I know that he had a big catch against them in the loss in Week 15. So just getting the football in one of your best playmakers' hands would make a lot of sense. Now, speaking of playmakers, and this is going to sound like a broken record because if anybody's been listening to this podcast the last couple of weeks, dating back to the Week 15 matchup, I am urging you, Shane Waldron, get the football to your tight ends. And I'm talking Noah Fant. I'm talking Colby Parkinson. Tyler Mabry is going to be dressing for this game. All three of those guys are capable receivers, but in particular, Colby Parkinson. I've been making this argument for the last several days. Colby Parkinson is a rare talent when you're looking at the six foot seven size, four seven speed, soft hands, that really tall, really long catch radius. He should be a matchup problem. And the 49ers have actually given up some touchdowns to tight ends as of late. Their safety play has not been quite as good the last four or five games. 
They're really talented back there, but they have had their issues. I just look at this game, especially if the weather is going to be impacting the ability to throw the football, the short intermediate passing game to those tight ends, use some pre-snap motion, mix and match who's in line, who's out in the slot. But either way, they have got to find a way to get the football into those tight ends' hands. And I think that that can open up the rest of your playbook as much as the weather will allow. They might not be able to take those deep shots down the field, but that might be able to establish DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett more if the 49ers have to respect the tight ends who have been so good when the Seahawks have actually prioritized them in their game plan. And so you can't have four catches for 11 yards like the first matchup. And they were quiet in the first half in week 15. But once they started getting the ball to Noah Fant, we saw some success late in the game. I think that the tight ends have to be a focal point in this football game for the Seahawks to have any chance to win. Now let's switch gears over the defensive side of the football. And and quite frankly, Nick, you and I have talked about this a few times recently. I feel like the Seahawks have actually defended the run fairly well in the two games against the 49ers. They've been able to get a lot of carries, but before Jordan Mason's 54-yard touchdown, not touchdown, 54-yard run in week 15, the Seahawks were giving up less than four yards per carry against the 49ers and so as bad as their run defense has been they've seemed more locked in against the 49ers in the two games they've played and I know that that is something that is a major focal point for you not just in the run game but there's something in particular that they're going to have to be on their a game to have a chance to win on Saturday yeah I mean it's the basic fundamental of football you got to tackle you got to tackle the tackle the player tackle the ball carrier uh, not miss tackles don't you know don't let them bounce off guys the 49ers are extremely good at yak yards after the catch. They, Kyle Shanahan might be the best in, in football right now at getting guys in position to catch the ball in space and get out there. And, and uh, you know, him and Andy Reid are like right there, A and B, um, for getting guys out there in space and letting him make yak. And this, so they're number one in the NFL. The Seahawks are 29th in yak allowed. So that's, that's not exactly a great combo of <laughs> being near the bottom of the league uh, allowing yards after the catch and the 49ers being the best team in football in that category. So that screams to me that the Seahawks are going to have to be better than they have been at tackling. And yes, I agree. Lately, they have been a little bit better, especially against the run. Um, I was pretty impressed with what I saw the last few weeks uh, against the Rams and Jets. Now the Rams and Jets, they're, they're not quite the San Francisco 49ers. You know, we're, we're talking here. We're talking this, the hottest team in football, arguably one of the, I'd say, top two or three teams are favored to win the Super Bowl out of this bracket, and uh, they're just they're feeling it on, on running in all cylinders. And so you got it. You can't when when you get a chance in space, you cannot miss your tackles. You can't let guys bounce off. You can't let them catch in a bunch of space and get you know third and eights. He can't. The, the most maddening thing to me is you know the third and eights where he, they they throw it horizontally for two yards and then he wiggles loose for seven, eight, nine yards for a first down. You had him. You had him behind the sticks. And you let them get beyond that. So you got to avoid the situations. Yeah. And you remember those two touchdowns George Kittle had in week 15. Both of them, the Seahawks had chances to tackle him before he got to the end zone and they weren't able to get it done. Cody Barton and Quandre Diggs, in particular, kind of made a business decision on those plays. You cannot do that in this game, or the 49ers are going to win this handily. You've got to bring your hard cat, hard hat. You got to be able to swarm to the football in the run game. And when they catch the football, you you got to limit their yards after the catch. Seattle's been bad in that area most of the season. There's a lot of reasons to not be optimistic about this game, just matchup wise. But at the same time, the defensive line has been playing a lot better the last couple of weeks, albeit against the Jets and Rams, who aren't necessarily juggernauts in their offensive line. But Dallas, this has really got to be one of the focal points here 
Can that group up front continue their play from the last two weeks or at least come close to it against a far superior 49ers offensive line? For them to have any chance to win, it's not if they can. They need to be elite. They need to be better than they have been. I know they've been a lot better than they were early in the season, but to beat a 49ers offense that's as stacked as they are with the weapons and the offensive line to get them open, it's just a matchup nightmare. But the defensive line will need to be elite. Daryl Taylor will need to continue his excellent play these last few weeks, continuing to rampage on these sacks. And then the interior of the line, Al Wood, Shelby Harris, they need to be men up there dominating. These linemen can't be pushing them off the ball three yards, four yards. You can't be seeing that. They need to be stifling the run game. And Tanner Muse is going to be a huge factor on the second level. So hopefully with the defensive line being executing well on the first level, it will free up Tanner Muse, Cody Barton to be able to make a lot of plays. And speaking about what Nick said earlier with the tackles, Kobe Bryant specifically has been a lot better these for, during the second half of the season with tackles. He hasn't gotten the peanut punch recently, but he's been a lot more safe with the tackles, going conservative and wrapping up. And with Ryan Neal coming back, I'm kind of interested to see how much are we even going to see Kobe Bryant because they could honestly play a lot of big nickel running Jonathan Abrams down near the line of scrimmage too. So I wonder if that's going to be a game plan for the Seahawks. That's a really good point because I will also say this. Pete Carroll made this clear in his press conference Thursday. He's not even on the injury report, but they are going to have what he called a nice rotation out there. They are not going to expect Ryan Neal to come back from this knee injury and play every single snap on defense. So you're going to see some Tease Tabor and some Jonathan Abram in this football game. And maybe you'll see all three of them on the field together. They've mixed and matched their defensive backs. And, and this is a team that loves to run the football. So maybe they'll be stacking the box with some safeties to keep some coverage flexibility out there. From my perspective going into this game, when you can look at the tackling, we can look at the pass rush. But for this Seahawks team to win this game, they have got to find a way to get Brock Purdy to stop playing like he's Joe Montana and start looking like a seventh round pick. And he just hasn't to this point. Maybe he won't. But going back and watching that game in week 15, the few times the Seahawks were able to get pressure on him, he did uncork some bad throws. There were a couple errant throws on short passes that he overthrew. And then the Quandre Diggs dropped interception, which still, that was a killer play in that game, not being able to record that. But his average yards per attempt goes down almost two full yards on blitzes in his limited action. This has been a kid that's had more trouble when there's been pressure coming out. He's thrown three touchdowns in one pick. He's completed 64% of his passes. So he hasn't been terrible, but he's looked more like a rookie when he has been put in those positions. You have to be careful though. So I think it's a balancing act. Find a way to balance some blitzes. We saw Kobe Bryant get after Baker Mayfield last week on a slot blitz. Maybe you mix in a few things like that. Blitzing your linebackers. Alexander Johnson had a really nice blitz last week to get to Baker Mayfield. And then mixing in some sim blitzes where you aren't actually blitzing. You're still only rushing four, but you're disguising who's going to be dropping back, who's going to be rushing. And that's critical when you're running a 3-4 defense. And they've got some outside linebackers that can drop back and cover. So Clint Hurt, Sean Desai and company, can you find a way to balance that 
and give some illusions of pressure and maybe get Brock Purdy off balance because I did see some signs in that game that maybe he could be rattled a little bit, which hasn't happened to this point. And this will be Pete Carroll's second chance to game plan against him too. So that's going to keep things very interesting going into this wild card rematch. Coming up next, we're going to switch gears to game day. We've got a wild card matchup coming up on Saturday, Seahawks and 49ers. We're going to play What's the Odds Wild Card Edition, some wild card round concepts that we're going to be discussing, the chances that that'll happen on Saturday in Santa Clara. We'll get to our game day coming up next here on our Blue Friday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by BetOnline. BetOnline.net is your number one source for sports betting info, stats, news, and analysis. Get the latest odds and trends for every professional and amateur league out there, whether it's football, basketball, soccer, esports. They've got it all at BetOnline.net. And if you love sports podcasts, you can find those at BetOnline as well. It's the fastest and easiest way to get your betting fix. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to Blue Friday edition here of the Locked On Seahawks podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Smith. Glad to be joined for today's show by Nick Lee as well as Dallas Cooper. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. Before we get to our game, I just got to say, for those that are listening and wondering, man, they seem like maybe, or at least Corbin seems like he's a little off today. We just got a new addition to the family. I added a child. We got a kitten in the house. And so uh, there's pure craziness going on outside the door here while we're recording. So anyway, uh, that's where we're at. I didn't get a chance to put all my ads down, as you guys can clearly see. But let's get to our game day here on Blue Friday. We're going to play What's the Odds? And for those that haven't seen us play this game before here on the podcast, I'm going to throw out a statement about this week's game. It's going to be statistical on offense, defense, or special teams. And I'm going to dish it over to Nick in Dallas. And you're going to tell me what the percent chance that that is going to happen on Saturday is. And of course, I'm going to get my opportunity to weigh in as well. So without further ado, let's get to it. Our first one here on what's the odds here on our Blue Friday episode. I'm going to be starting on the offensive side of the football. And start with Nick here. The Seahawks convert on six third down opportunities to move the chains. What's the odds that the Seahawks are going to be able to accomplish that against the number one 49ers defense? Ooh, six third down conversions. Well, the last four weeks, last four games, they had one against the Rams, five against the Jets, two against the Chiefs, and four in that last matchup against the 49ers. It's been uh, five games since they've converted at least six third downs. So that, uh, that doesn't spell well, especially with uh, the 49ers deciding to wake up one day and become the 85 Bears on defense uh, for at least a stretch here. Um, I'm going to go with 30%. E- even in a winning effort, they, they haven't been great on third downs this year. I think six is probably a good number to shoot for if, if the Seahawks have uh, visions of grandeur in this game uh, to win and come out of there victorious. But uh you know, just being being a realist, I think I'm going to go 30%. It's certainly not impossible, but just given the trend of the last four weeks or so, even in wins, they haven't been getting there. Dallas, what do you think? Six third down conversion for the Seahawks on Saturday. What are the odds? I'm going to have to go 25%. I don't think it's really going to happen, but I, in totality, I think it's going to be hard for both teams. I think this is going to be a game where it's going to be one big play will dictate the game and swing the game or swing the pendulum of the game and the momentum. I don't think it's going to be very difficult to sustain drives against this 49ers defense. It's going to take explosive plays to break the top off them. 
You know, I'm going to go against the grain here a little bit, and maybe I'll regret it because, as Nick pointed out, this team has been horrible on third down for weeks now. But I look at the weather, and both teams are going to have to run the football a lot, and Seattle has been doing better in that regard the last few games. I think that takes away Nick Bosa's effectiveness a little bit because he's going to have less chance to get after the quarterback. That means less chances to sack Geno Smith, maybe some more favorable third down situations. And I think in a game like this where both offenses are really struggling to get points on the board, as I'm anticipating is going to be the case, you're going to have a lot of opportunities for third down. So just because Seattle gets six of them doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be overly efficient. They could be like six for 15 on third down, which would actually be better than what they have been. So I'm going to go 45%, not quite 50, but 45% just because of what I'm expecting this game is going to be like due to the elements and both teams focusing on the ground game. I actually think Seattle might be able to get a few more third downs than we've seen in recent weeks. Next up here, going to roll over to Nick here on defense. Daryl Taylor, Uchenna Nwosu, and Bruce Irvin all register a sack on Brock Purdy. So each one of them getting a sack. The Seahawks had one apiece in each of the games against the 49ers. What are the odds that this happens in the playoffs? Man, this is upper class kind of stuff. This is <laughs> this is a little rich for my blood. Um, Purdy's actually been pretty good at getting rid of the ball pretty quickly as, as the system is is designed for in San Francisco. O-line's been pretty good versus the pass rush. They did allow four sacks against the Cardinals last week, um, and especially the weakest link being the, the right guard, Spencer Burford, uh, one of the teammates of Tariq Wolin at UTSA, actually allowed three sacks by himself, according to Pro Football Focus, in that game. So if the Seahawks are targeting ways to get into the backfield and get sacks that the right guard spot might be an avenue there for him help JJ Watt certainly have a nice swan song for him. Um, but with getting three sacks and especially with those three, um, Bruce Irvin being one that has only 3.5 sacks, I'm going to go 10%. I think this is, this is pretty lofty even if they get two to three sacks, having each one of these guys with at least one, that's, that's pretty high. Dallas, what do you think? I have to agree with Nick. I'm going to go with 10%. As he said, going with all three seems a little like too, a little far fetched. I could see one one or two of them amassing even more than one sack because, as Nick said, the right guard is one of their spots to take advantage of. But I think honestly, the entire right side of that offensive line being Mike McGlinchey as well, he hasn't been as well in pass protection. That's been his known kind of weakness. So matching up against him, the Seahawks defense could do something, but. I'm going to have to go with 10% on all three of them, each recording a sack. I'm going 1%. I don't see any way that this happens. And not that I don't think the Seahawks can get some pressure on Brock Purdy, because I think they'll find ways. But we just pointed out the guard position. Well, maybe this is a game where Shelby Harris or Miles Adams ends up getting into the backfield and gets a sack. I could see two of these guys maybe getting one just because the password has been better the last couple of weeks. This is a very good 49ers offensive line. McGlinchey has been playing a lot better second half of this season. Trent Williams is elite, one of the best tackles in the NFL. So I think if they're going to get pressure, some of it's going to have to come from the interior. Maybe Quentin Jefferson stays hot. He's been as good rushing the quarterback the last five weeks as any defensive tackle in the NFL. But I don't know the edge guys are going to be able to do that. Going back to the offense here, a skill player not named Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf will finish with 60 or more receiving yards. I'm going to start with Dallas on this one. What are the odds that somebody not named Metcalf or Lockett goes for 60-plus receiving yards in this game? I'm going to go 35%. I think Kenneth Walker will be a big factor in this. He will be featured in the receiving game. 
I think we could even see a lot of Dariq Young as well. He's been playing really well with the limited opportunities that he's been given. And maybe Pete Carroll gives him a shot to show something in this wild card round. Nick, what do you think? I like the Dariq Young poll. I think that's a, that's a sneaky good pick for me. Um, it's got what we discussed earlier. It's about the tight ends. I consider them skill guys. I mean, they might be. They might uh, get another Popeye's biscuit more than everybody else, but they're still they're still skill players. Um, I'm going to go with Noah Fant. I think that we mentioned Colby Parkinson, one of those guys. I could see them sneaking out and getting you know four or five catches for 60 yards. And Noah Fant had five catches in that last game, like we, like you mentioned. We started feeding them, the Seahawks started feeding him a bit more in the second half of that Niners game. Maybe they found something there that they want to try to exploit here as uh, as as the, this game unfolds as well. So I think it could be one of the tight ends, but I do like uh, Dallas's picks, Tariq Young, and maybe one of the running backs. I'm yeah, gonna go, I'm going to go flat. Uh, sorry, I'm going to go 50%. I like this. I like the odds. <laughs> so we're both thinking 50%. Yeah, I, I think that there's, you know, if the Seahawks do what I think they should do and tight ends are getting involved, I think you've got some really good points there that Fant or Parkinson could do that. But again, the, the reason I'm maybe not thinking as high on this one as I would in normal conditions is I'm worried about the weather. How much your team is going to be throwing the football? And is there going to be very many catches that pick up big chunks of yardage? when I feel like it's going to be conditions that really warrant running the football most of the time. So I just don't know that the yardage totals are going to be there, but there'll be opportunities for other receivers and tight ends and running backs to get involved. So I'm going to go right at 50% just to maybe play it a little bit safe. I think there's a decent chance it could happen, but the weather is the one thing that's making me a little hesitant to go higher than that. On defense, this was a category picked by Dallas himself. Tanner Muse or Alexander Johnson records at least eight tackles at linebacker. We know Jordan Brooks is going to be playing. So what are the odds that one of these guys gets at least eight tackles in this game, Dallas? I'm going to go a little low. I'm going to go 30%. I think most of the time we're going to see them switching off and like interchanging different um, possessions. I don't think we're going to see one of them playing a majority amount of snaps. I think it's going to be fairly even. So I think it's going to be very difficult for them to each amass eight or one of them to amass eight, eight tackles. Nick, what do you think? Muse or Johnson? Does one of them have a chance to get to eight? I'm kind of with Dallas on this one. I think it, it might not be that they can't. It's just scheme wise. Tanner Muse played 62% of the defensive snaps last week. I think they are going to switch out a little too much to reach that. I'm going to go. I'm going to go 45%, slightly less than a coin flip. They could get there with the amount of plays they might see in the run game as well. Um, but it, just with the scheme, I don't see it happening. As I just went safe on the previous one on passing because I didn't think, you know, teams are going to be throwing much. I think teams are going to be running the ball a lot. And the 49ers already like to do that anyway. So even if there's reduced snaps, I'm going 90% on this. And, and I would lean to Tanner Muse being the one that's going to get eight tackles because I think he's going to play more. We don't even know if Johnson's going to get called up yet. That hasn't even been determined. I think the way he played last week and with Brooks' injury, he's probably going to be up for this game. But we don't know that at this point. We do know that Tanner Muse is going to play. And against a team that runs as much as the 49ers, he's going to get a lot of opportunities to make plays. So I actually am, am pretty bullish on this one. I'm going 90% that Tanner Muse gets eight tackles or more in this football game. Going back to offense, Nick, we're going to let you start this one. Seattle's offensive line holds Nick Bosa to one sack. They have done that in one of the games against the 49ers this year. So what are the odds they do it again? Well, he does have uh, 11 games of, of one sack or less. I know it's kind of funny to have that as a standard when, when you're <laughs> probably, probably going to be the defensive player of the year. 
Um, that that's the stat you kind of get less like, Oh, it's like, Oh, Barry Bonds only hit one home run today. So, you know, whatever. Um, for this, you know, I think Gino just takes too many sacks and the 49ers will be juiced with the home crowd. Bosa got two and man, it's just, they're going to try their darndest to keep him at bay. But I just feel, I just picture that the scene from Lord of the Rings, number two, the two towers when that they're trying that, that Urukai is trying to blow up the wall and they're shooting him with like 50 arrows and he's still running and he gets the job done at the end. I, I just think that's going to be Nick Bosa. He's going <laughs> to, he, he might take four five, six arrows in the shoulders, but he's going to keep going and he's going to be wrecking stuff. So he's just that kind of player. He's just that he's that good. So I'm holding him to one sack or less. Uh, I'm going to go 40%. I think they can just because they've done it before, but uh, I, I'd like it a little bit less than a coin flip. Dallas, what do you think? The chances there? I, I just can't get that vision now out of my head. Now, now I want to watch Lord of the Rings. I had to sneak it in there. <laughs> I'm going to actually go opposite. I think there's a very good chance that they can do this. I'm going to go as bold as 75%. Mm-hmm. I think that these rookie tackles are going to show up and step up during this game. And Pete Carroll has something up his sleeve. I don't think he's, he's going to definitely game plan for this. And as Corbin, as you said, they're going to run the football and focus on that. I don't think Bosa is even going to have too many of opportunities to be able to pass rush, especially key in on those pass rushes. But with who knows on those third downs, it could happen. But I have a lot of faith with the Seahawks rookie tackles. You know, I, I didn't think I was going to go this direction, but I'm going to go 60%. And the reason that I'm going to is because Abraham Lucas is healthy. He looked totally different last week after getting a week off to rest that banged up knee. He looked like his usual athletic self. And that's such a big difference against Nick Bosa. The lack of passing attempts that I'm anticipating, just as Dallas pointed out. And also, I expect that we're going to see more six offensive linemen formations like we've seen the Seahawks kind of revert back to the last couple weeks. Jake Curhan coming in to help out either one of the tackles against Nick Bosa. And maybe they'll send him in motion some more. We get to see big Curhan go in motion a few times last week. So I think they're going to make some adjustments to try to limit him. There's still going to be pressures because it's Nick Bosa. But I think that the elements, the weather we're dealing with, Abraham Lucas being healthier, Charles Cross is playing better the last couple weeks. I actually think it lines up for them to fare better than they did in week 15. That doesn't mean you're going to shut him down because he is an elite player. But I'm actually going to go 60% on that one. And our last one here, Dallas, I'm going to have you take the reins on this one first. The Seahawks amass at least one fumble recovery and one interception. What are the odds they get one of each of those turnovers after they had no turnovers in either one of their first two games against the 49ers? I'm going to go 50-50. I got it 50% split straight in the middle. I think that there's a very good chance that one of them could happen, but both I'm going to have to lean a little bit less. But with how aggressive this defense has been on getting takeaways and has been putting that as a focus, as the traditional Pete Carroll defense has always done, it could happen. Tariq Woolen, amazing cornerback, has got, led the NFL or tied the NFL with the lead with six interceptions on the season. And as we said, the defensive line needs to be elite. Force Brock Purdy into tough situations where he throws some errant passes, as you said, Corbin. And that's when these defensive backs need to take advantage of that. And as for the fumble recovery, there's going to be a lot of attempts on the ground. That's a lot of attempts to be able to punch at that football. So one of them, I think, definitely could. Let's let Nick in on the action here. Yeah, with with the weather, I, I definitely I agree with with them being both on the ground. I could see. I think we could see multiple fumbles by both teams. But the Niners have been really, really, really good at at, at uh, protecting the, the the football. They're actually number one in turnover margin. 
So they're they're really good at taking the football away and also protecting it themselves. Um, the Seahawks had that three turnover, their three takeaway game against the Jets, but they only have four turnovers in their last five games. And the, so the 49ers only have three giveaways in the last five games. So um, it's it's not adding up for me to get one fumble recovery and one interception. Um, I do like the conditions for possibly a, a, a fumble recovery, but just kind of the, how the game's going to go, I'm probably going to go 35% here. I, that's about the window I'm at. I'm actually going to go with 33% because I feel like making it weird, just like NFC West rematches tend to be. And that's the reason why I think there's a chance it could happen because you're, you're adding in the weather. I actually think it's going to be harder to get interceptions in this game just because, again, I don't think that you're going to see a lot of passing attempts if the weather ends up being what they're forecasting right now. Teams are going to be keeping the ball on the ground, but wet footballs – Guys punching the ball out, even with the 49ers being great at, at holding on to the football. I mean, Debo Samuel had a fumble in week two when it was sunny outside. So the Seahawks, the Seahawks were not able to recover that. But still, the ball has been put on the ground a few times. I just think the weather is going to allow for that. I think it's going to be really tough to get one of both, though. It is going to be sloppy conditions, so that certainly enhances the possibility. But I think less passing attempts. That's why I'm going to go 33% more likely to get a fumble than an interception in this upcoming game with what the elements should make for the game plan for both teams. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Nick at Nick Lee 51. You can also follow Dallas. I believe it's Dallas. Is it Dallas S Cooper or a Cooper? Dallas C Cooper. C Cooper, C Cooper, Dallas C Cooper, double C's. Dallas C. Cooper. You can follow him on Twitter. We're going to be back coming up on Saturday after the game. We'll have a postcast. Hopefully, we're going to be covering a Seahawks upset over the 49ers. But either way, we'll be handing out game balls, doing three up, three down, and breaking down all the key storylines coming out of Saturday's super wild card matchup at Levi Stadium. Hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for listening to this show. Enjoy the rest of your Friday. Go Hawks.